One who was there had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Good morning, dear one. Well, this is, this is quite a story, I think. And it has some, some uh, uh, information in it that's going to kind of launch us into what we're going to say, what I'm going to talk to you about today. What I'm going to talk to you about today is very unpleasant. They won't leave. As a matter of fact, what you're going to hear today in this environment is what you generally won't hear anywhere else. You won't hear it in a pool hall. You won't hear it in a public place. You won't hear it at a basketball game or a football game. You won't hear it at a big convention. You won't hear what we're going to talk about this morning together. Anywhere but here. You'll hear it here. This man was told to quit sinning. Unless something worse was going to happen to him. Things were going to get worse for him. Now Jesus was approaching the city of Jerusalem. This man was lying by a big pool of water. And he was hoping that someone would help him into that water because they believed that an angel stirred it up every year. And that uh, the person who went in the water after, after the angel stirred the water would, would be healed. This man had been invalid for 38 years. Now, I don't know what he did to get himself that fixed. Jesus said, quit sinning. So he must have done something. He must have done something that got him in that fix. He said, if you, if you don't stop, if you, if you don't stop sinning, it's going to get worse. Let's consider initially that the reason why this is going to be an unpleasant discussion because we're going to talk about sin. And sin is, has created havoc over the course of man's history, course of time. We've been in a downward spiral that began with Adam and reached its nadir with the flood. Low point. Low point of man hit just before the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Rock bottom. Right down on the bottom. And it wasn't going to get any better. So, he decided he would destroy 
all human life and animal life. Of course, he, he preserved eight souls plus the animal life, some animal life, and took them on the other side of the flood. If we were to, and we're going to, discuss sin this morning, I'm going to, it behooves us to decide what the nature of sin is and how it affects us. What does sin do to us? Whether we want to recognize that it's here, it's here or not, whether we want to know what it is, we need to recognize, first of all, that it has a simple Bible definition, and that means that it, whatever we're doing is evil, and it's out of, out of the harmony with God. God doesn't want it around. He doesn't want us to participate in it. That's a simple Bible definition. God is good. Anything that's not good is evil. So sin is evil and it's detrimental, despicable to God and detrimental to man. It, it damages us. It, uh, it diminishes us. It's a behavior, sin is a behavior, and not a condition. I'll make that clear in a little bit. It's something we choose to do, not something we have to do, something we choose to do. And it has evil effects that are brought upon ourselves and upon others. Now that's why it's not pleasant to talk about it. Because generally, sin isn't viewed in, in that perspective. Now, it started with Adam. God put Adam on this earth, Adam and Eve. He put him in a garden, a beautiful garden, Garden of Eden. And he gave him everything he needed to exist, even in relationship with him, with God, with that which is divine. And yet Adam sinned. Of course, he was told, don't eat of this particular fruit of the particular tree. I don't know whether it was an apple or an orange or an apricot or an avocado. I don't know what it was. We don't know what it was. It was a piece of fruit. But uh, Eve was uh, enticed to partake of it by the devil, and then Eve put the pressure on her husband, as wives sometimes do, and husbands sometimes do to their wives, put the pressure on him, he did the same thing. Anyway, the Bible says that uh, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death has passed upon all men. From a societal perspective, now that's the Bible's perspective. The Bible says, here's... Here's how it began. And we believe the Bible. Everybody in this room, I'm, I believe, I'm sure, believes the Bible. But from a society perspective, it just seems like it's always been around as part of the human makeup. We don't actually, we don't look at sin as being sin. We don't even, matter of fact, we don't, like I said before, we don't even talk about it. We talk about it here, but we don't talk about it anywhere else. You're not going to talk about it at a family reunion. You don't talk about it. We, we sweep sin under the rug. We, need, we keep it out of our visual, out of our peripheral visual. Anyway, we don't want to see it. We don't want to think about it. We want, don't want to talk about it. And certainly we don't talk about it if we're involved in it. But society recognizes there is such a thing as sin. They won't call it that. But they'll call it an infraction of the law, let's say. That there's evil somehow. We know that people talk about evil. It's, very comfortable to talk about evil. We talk about evil and the presence of our laws are enacted to regulate human behavior because that testifies, these laws testify to the fact that we recognize 
that there is something wrong going on in our society. So we pass a law to try to regulate it out of existence. Keep it away from us. Keep it away from polite society. Keep evil away. It has to be constrained or it will become uncontrolled. And the, and the practice of human behavior, uncontrolled, as we know, is detrimental to society. If you don't control evil, it will get out of hand. It will continue to get worse and worse exponentially. It will. Our legal and judicial systems, along with our penal codes, gives evidence of the fact that we do, in fact, recognize such a thing as sin or evil. And it has to be constrained. Now, this is alluded to. I'm, I'm, ta I'm talking to Bible believers. We know that there is such a thing as sin. Society recognizes it too and always has. But we just don't want to talk about it. Keep it quiet. Don't, don't mention it. Don't discuss it. We know it's there. And when it pops up, we'll try to hammer it down like, like uh, hammering down the little dolls. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Paul said when the Gentiles, that's the nations, Israel had the law. The nation of Israel had the law. Had it for a long time. 17, 18, 100 years before Christ, they had it. But now the nations didn't have such a, such a thing. But Paul said the nations which have not the law do by nature the things containing in the law. In other words, the nations, even though they didn't have the codified law like Israel did, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, etc. Ten Commandments and all the other specifics about human relations that are contained in the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't have that, but Paul said, they do by nature the things containing in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. They show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing them witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing each other. The main concern here is that evil in society expands. It just gets bigger and bigger. It increases in activity and damages. And if you, left, if you leave it unchecked, it will increasingly overwhelm every criminal court in this country and in others. If you don't check evil, the penal institutions and are now, even at this moment that I'm talking about, are overwhelmed because evil is not being checked. Can't stop it. The Bible says evil men shall wax worse and worse. And that's true. 1 Timothy 3.18. Romans 3 at verse 10 says it's written. He's talking about the Old Testament. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seek after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Society has responded to immorality and criminal behavior by diminishing what, we, what the Bible calls sin. We don't want to recognize it. So the way we get rid of sin is by redefining it, not calling it sin. Don't recognize it as sin. Call it something else or just, just ignore it altogether. 
This isn't new because this is what mankind has been trying to do since the day Adam was put on the earth. We've been trying to shuffle it aside, redefine it, and, and talk about it, call it something else. Think about our, cur- our courts today. We're trying to take felony acts in our courts. You know it. You know what I'm talking about. We're talking about felon act- felony, felonious activities that the courts are now going to call misdemeanors, and eventually they're going to completely relegate them out of existence so that what is what we generally understood to be breaking of the law is no longer breaking law because there's no law against it. So what we're doing is we're, we're, we're solving crime by redefining it. That's what we try to do with evil. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, One to them that call evil good, good evil. Man, this was 700 years before Christ that Isaiah is talking about this. 700 years before Christ, almost 3,000 years ago, we were trying to do this. They're calling good evil, evil good. They put light for darkness and darkness for light. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sights. Sin is justified, glamorized, whitewashed, and promoted as being the accepted norm of society. This is what we do. This is how we live. Only when we personally have to suffer from evil do we want to recognize that it's even in existence. But when you get hit by evil and you suffer from it, all of a sudden you say, there is such a thing as sin. Yes, there is. Isaiah 64, basically, let's just go back a minute. When God created man, Genesis chapter 1, He created man in His own image. We are, you are, and it's kind of hard to recognize this, but you are, when you're born, when you come into this world, you are God's masterpiece. You are His great painting You are the greatest work of art that God ever performed. You are, as an individual, as a babe, when you're born as a human being, you are God's masterpiece. And by and by, as you get older, the devil starts to paint his graffiti on your soul. You no longer are a masterpiece. You're you're dirty. You're marred. You're decaying. Now, we don't have to look very deeply in the Word of God to recognize what God feels about sin, how He looks at sin, how He looks at us when we sin. You know we know He loves us. We know that. But when we start sinning, we start sullying ourselves. We start getting dirty. And the more we live and the more we sin, the dirtier we get. The Bible calls this filthiness. Isaiah 6 at verse 64 verse 6 says, We are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we fade like a leaf. There's nothing like an old dried leaf, is there? It's gone. It's not of no value. James 4 at verse 8 says, Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Ephesians 5.3 says, But fornication, all uncleanness, all or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Neither filthiness 
nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. Okay. So you've been created, I've been created in the image of God, and we are, when we're born, we are as pure as a newborn infant, aren't we? We're God's masterpiece. But we're born into an environment of sin. That's the thing. We're born into, an, into a place that's teeming with sin. It's all around us. When you're born, you, you come into sin. An environment of sin. Everybody's sinning. It's all around you. You know, you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Who does not remember that story? Well, David sinned. What a mess he made of his life. And then he realized when Nathan the prophet came to him and told him what kind of sinner he was, sometimes people have to tell us that, by the way, what kind of sinner I am. They have to stand up and tell me. But when he finally figured it out, he wrote a Psalms about it, about his experience. Psalms 51, verse 3 through 5, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, he's talking to God. Remember, you are God's masterpiece. You are so pure and so delightful and so precious. But when you start to sin, you start getting filthy and dirty. The devil starts writing his story on your soul. He said, against you, talking about God, against you only you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Now, here's something that people latch on to. David said, in the, in the anguish of his soul, he sang, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Well, you know what David was saying? He wasn't saying that he was born a sinner. No, he was born pure and unadulterated and, and clean and, and wholesome. That's the way he was born. But he's saying, I, I, was, I was born in iniquity. He's talking about his environment. In sin, my mother conceived me. She was there. She was in a whole environment of sin just like you are when you're born. It, it would be like saying, if you're born in an or orange orchard, you're an orange. Well, you're not, just because you're born in that environment. If you're born in a tomato field, you're not a tomato. And if you're born in a potato field, you're not a potato, although... Anyway... The idea was, he said, this is the environment I was born in. He just, he's just explaining his situation. He said that he's almost trying to excuse himself. I just couldn't help it. But he could help it. He could help it. He said, these things, he said, I was shaping iniquity and, and sin did my mother conceive me. The environment you're born in is called the world. That's what the Bible calls it, the world. You're born in the world. You are born in iniquity, which means when you were born, you came into a, an environment that just is teeming with sin. Like you're in a, you're in a big hothouse of mosquitoes. You're, you're there. It's all around you. And eventually, you're going to reach out and start getting dirty with all the dirtiness and filthiness that's around you. Jesus said that the devil is the prince of this world. John 16, 11. 
Then he said at verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have in, over, overcome the world. Sin is not inherited. You've, you've heard this argument all, all along, haven't you? You've heard the argument, is it nature or nurture? You got that one? Nature or nurture? In other words, are you a sinner by nature or are you a sinner by nurture? Somebody got you to sin. You follow? I don't think it's either one. But anyway, I don't think anybody nurtured you up to sin, but it was there. It was, it was in your grass. It was low-hanging fruit. All you had to do is reach up and pick it because it's all around you. So, sin isn't inherited. It's a learned behavior. You're innocent as a newborn babe. You are. That's exactly the truth. Jesus said the kingdom was made up of such individuals. He said in Matthew 18.3, I say unto you, except you be converted, become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. How could he? He's relating. He's, he's, he's actually comparing the kingdom with little children. That means that little children are pure. Wholesome, un, unaffected. But as we mature, we're faced with choices. We have a choice. We can either go down, go through the broad way, go through the broad gate and down the broad way and slip along without any problems and just do what everybody else is doing. I told you you're not going to like this sermon. The broad way is easy to slide along on. No effort. Easy to go. Just go. Or we can squeeze through the straight gate and walk the narrow way. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The appeal of sin is that it presents itself to us as desirable. Sin has an appeal. Don't forget that. It is the go along to get along attitude. Do what everybody else is doing. Don't rock the boat. Everybody else is doing these things. Stay in lockstep. It's a good philosophy. Take the easy way. The majority is always right attitude. Face it, friend. Sin promises pleasure. If it didn't, it would not appeal to you. If sin wasn't good looking and appealing, you'd turn away from it. It is pleasurable, and when you get it done, it feels good. Sin feels good. Admit it. Feels good. Feels good to vent your anger. You get all pent up. You want to say something mean and bad and, and obnoxious? Say it. Feels good. Sure it does. To make a nasty gesture to a person that offends you on the freeway feels good. Makes you, it relieves pressure. Vengeance is satisfying. Get even. Something happens to you, somebody abuses you, get back. Feels good when you get back. If you uh, stub your toe or something goes wrong, curse, vent, express yourself, say whatever you want to say. Regardless of the damage that it does to you or anybody else, do it. That's what the world says you can do. You see, I'm talking about things the world approves of. 
But God doesn't approve of that. To deny that sin feels good is to deny common sense. It does. But, just like venting ourselves, venting our anger, the, the Bible says, Be not hasty in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9. And we're, we're told that anger does not uh, affect, does not make the uh, righteousness of God. James chapter 1, verse 20. Common sense agrees with the Word of God. We know that if we do not curb our appetites for pleasure, like drug addiction or alcoholism and so forth, if we don't curb those, then it's going to get worse and worse. We're just going to, get, we're just going to continue on, on down that line. As we grow older, if we do not change course, we will, we will get worse and worse. Sin is like a disease. If it's left untreatable, it'll get septic. You know what septic is? It's not your tank that you dump your trash in, but it's, it's a condition, sepsis. It'll kill you. It'll kill us. Sin is not a little owie that we can put a Band-Aid on. That's what we have to keep in mind. I know we're talking about things that nobody else in this world can talk about. And people in your social environment are not going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. It's not a harmless bug bite. And it's not a harmless snake bite. As a matter of fact, it's as poisonous as a viper. If we expect to get off this planet with our souls intact, we have to be vigilant in our daily walk. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking him he may devour. We're standing, my friend, on quaking earth. You know what quaking earth is? Have you ever been around any of it? It's that earth that's unstable. That's what we're on. We're on unstable ground. Because sin is all around us, and it, it's, all, it's, it's underneath us, it's over us, it's in our atmosphere. It, uh, as, we, as we're walking along and going past a dark alley, sin is lurking for us. And it's in disguise. And it's waiting for us at every disadvantage it can take of us. Ephesians 5 verse 11 says, have no fellowship. He's talking about don't participate in it. What I'm telling you, friend, is if you get yourself in a bad environment, you're going to go down. You can't stay up. You have to be cautious. You have to be aware of what's going on. I know people will call you silly, and they'll call you self-righteous and so forth, but sin is there, and it's dangerous, and it's all around us. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, approve them. That is, go recheck them. Check them out. Make sure it's right or wrong. It's a shame even to speak of those things which are done in them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Sin strives in the darkness of ignorance, where the light of Jesus shines upon this situation. Then we can see sin for what it is. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2 through 4 says, We've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifesting the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. 
in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Now then, the point we're making is this. The point To this point, we would likely agree. Sin is disgusting to God. He doesn't, he doesn't like it. He, he, looks, he looks at sin as, as repulsive. The Bible identification of sin is repulsive behavior that diminishes us in God's sight and as a human being. Sin will diminish you. Goodness is a worthy goal. Evil is failure. The issue for us should be how we should get ourselves, how we got ourselves into such a mess, and how do we get out? The easy part is we just slide along without paying much attention or much thought to the noble principles of right and wrong. We just go along. We're saturated with evil. It's there. It's all around us. We drift along through time without an alarm. The smoke alarm has lost its batteries. They've gone dead. Because we're, it's just there. We're absorbing it. And here's what we need to talk about. We have a difficult time recognizing our own personal situation. It's like we're in an evil environment, but we just don't know it. We're kind of immune to it. When I was a kid, I used to deliver ice. I delivered ice so I could drive the, the guy's pickup that sold the ice. I, I loved it. I didn't make much money at it. But I delivered ice. For those of you who can remember, there were people who had ice boxes. So I'd deliver a 50-pound chunk of ice to different address in town. And I'd take the ice inside and put it in the ice box. It had tongs. So I would carry the ice along and I'd chip it up and I'd put it where, where it belonged and I'd get 35 cents for a 50-pound block of ice. Delivered. Nice, huh? Anyway, there was an old gal, I say an old gal, there was an old woman who lived in a run-down part of town little ramshackle shack, um, bad roof, bad siding, bad everything, bad yard. Anyway, she ordered ice every week. And the boys at the ice dock where I worked would usually flip a coin so they had to deliver the ice to the lady. We called her the dog lady because she had about 25 dogs in her house. So I didn't have to go in the house, but I had to go into the back porch, kind of a sunroom, screened off place, and put the ice down and then take the money from the ice lady or from the dog lady. The place was horrible. It smelled so bad. And when she'd come out, she came out in a little tiny robe, and she's a little tiny skinny lady, night, night robe or whatever you call it, covered in dog hair. She, she locked the dogs in the main part of the house, but it smelled like a kennel. But you know, she couldn't smell it. Why? She lived there. She didn't smell it. I always hated to take the money. 35 cents in my hand. I thought, oh, I got to put this somewhere. Anyway, I could smell it. She couldn't smell it. You could smell it from a long ways away. And I had a friend whose father worked in a, in a rendering plant, which in, in town they... They took old dead cattle in the field. They'd go out and collect them in an old truck with a crane that picked them up. 
and put them in the truck and then took them back to the rendering plant and then they'd render it, render the meat, and it was rotten, spoiled meat. He smelled so bad. He smelled like that plant. And my friend, I had a friend that I palled around with. Of course, he, that was his son. And I'd go to his house and it, the, the smell was overwhelming, but the family couldn't, they didn't know the difference. Couldn't tell it. Same way with smoking. The smoker smokes in his house, he gets it in his hair, gets it on his clothes, gets it in the walls, gets it in the car carpets, gets it on the drapes, doesn't smell it. And another smoker doesn't smell it. But someone who doesn't smoke smells it. Right? Same way with a person who does not bathe like they should. But sometimes you have whole communities that are that way. And they can't smell themselves. There's some communities that, that you can, as you approach on the ship coming into shore, you can smell the whole community because of their lack of sanitary conditions. But the people that live there can't smell it. What happens when we get involved in sin is we can't smell it. We don't smell it on ourselves. We don't know the difference. But my friend, God knows the difference and He smells it. We're involved in it, so we need to get to the point where we can smell it. We need to get out of that environment, get away from it, so that we can recognize it when we're being surrounded by it and we're going to be drawn back into it. We need to be able to recognize that we've got to stay out of that situation, that circumstance. Now that's, that's cruel and that's hard, but that's what the Bible says. Stay out of that situation. Do not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We become, we become accustomed to the odor, and what we need more than anything else is some fresh air. Get away from that. Stand apart from it. John 8, verse 23 through 24, Jesus said, You're from beneath, I'm from above. Picture in your mind the fact that here we were drowning in a cesspool of sin, and Jesus plunged in to get us out. Wow. I can't imagine. You know, there's some places if somebody fell in a river somewhere and the river's so toxic that people probably wouldn't dive in to get them out. This place is so toxic that Jesus dove in to get us out. But that's where we're at. And Jesus said, You're from beneath, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins because it's all there. We're not getting out of it. We've got to get out of it. We have to get out of it. Now sin works. Here we're going to get to the point. Sin works in a very definable way. We know how it works. We do, don't we? Well, let's, let's review it. The only genetic thing about sin that you can inherit is that every individual has a sense of desire or what the Bible calls lust. We have a desire to want things. We've got that. Eve wanted that fruit. Adam wanted to please Eve. You see? We, genetically, we have that desire within us that we want, we want, we want. We have desires, impulses. We want to feel better. We, we want to be better. We want, we, we, want, we want things that gratify us. 
James 1, 13-15 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. He, that, he's talking about what we're talking about right now. God cannot be tempted with evil. He doesn't have that, but we do. Neither tempts he any man. He's not going to persuade us to do something. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And, and the lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. It starts with temptation and a choice. That's the part where we feel the tug to satisfy desire, a yearning. That's called temptation. Scratch an itch. We own this propensity. We should, anyway. Own it. Say, okay, I know I've got that. Own that. If you don't own that, then you're forever going to be blaming somebody else for your sins. Own it. You have that propensity. You would like to do certain things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Okay. We strongly believe that if we commit a certain act, it will satisfy a deep down desire that we have. It will be satisfying. Lies are appealing. Let's just talk about lies for a minute. Let's just use some examples. Lying feels good. Lying is, uh, is told, a lie is told to enhance our stature. To persuade others that we are better than we are, that we stronger than we are, that we know more than we do, and so forth, that it builds us up. So there's a desire to, to please other people, and sometimes it takes telling a lie. And by the way, there's no such thing as a little white one. Lies are lies, a lies a lie. Lies are lies. If you tell one, you told one. So, and there's no such thing as a little sin. As a matter of fact, all sin is sin, and God wants us, He wants to scrub us clean. He wants to get that away from us. When we tell a lie, we believe it has more value to us than the truth. Maybe it is told to avoid some consequences of a bad decision. But a lie is the devil's stock and trade. Jesus said the devil is a liar and he's the father of it. John eight forty four. Okay. Now lies can spread into slander and gossip, can't they? You can begin to talk about other people and tell other things and Make other people look bad and make yourself look better. Tales told out of school, tales that are told out of school are lies. There's an inclination to wag the tongue. And yet James says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. You can set something on fire with your tongue. <laughs> now if you're out in the woods and you need to get warm, don't be telling lies to try to get warm. That's not what he's talking about. But getting warm inside is when you tell a lie and you feel better about what you did because you think you've, you've made yourself look better to somebody else. The avenue of sin is, is, uh, is consistent. The process is the same. Fornication, pornography, adultery, homosexuality. These are burning desires that are in us to satisfy our craving to go outside the marriage bond. Outside the realm of marriage and get involved in sexual acts that may satisfy us. But it's all done, by the way, under the canopy of love. Right? So if you say, well, I committed adultery because I fell in love and I couldn't help myself. Yeah, you could help yourself. 
may be a problem, but you can help yourself. I, I'm a homosexual because I can't, I can't control my sexual impulses. Yes, you can. You don't want to because you want the satisfaction. Pornography, I, I can't control my pornography. Well, certainly you can. God gave you that choice. But it's difficult. It's what the Bible calls the narrow way, straight gate. The Broadway says, give up, call it love. And the world will congratulate you for it. The world, as a matter of fact, the world will change for you, for your propensity to sin. The world will change. It'll change its laws of marriage. It'll change its laws of, of anything that has to do with sexual relations. It'll just change so that everything's okay. Don't even, as a matter of fact, don't talk about it. And if you talk about it, you may get in trouble talking about it. I may get in trouble for talking about it. The great deception happens when society attempts to thwart the Word of God and redefine sin. We tend to go along with that deception. It feels good to justify and rationalize these behaviors and give them acceptance and, and tell other people, oh, it's, yeah, I know it's okay. You did it, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll forgive you and I'll, 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 I, won't, I won't hold you accountable. Well, somebody's going to hold us accountable. The same thing is true with alcoholism, drug addiction, everything we've been talking about because sin is consistent, has a consistent nature. First the lust, and then the pleasure, the, the appeal for the lust or the appeal first, then the lust, and then the satisfaction. That's what the Bible calls sin when it's harmful to us. And it's harmful to God. Now, the, the conclusion I want to draw is this, that, that there, is a, there is a solution to the problem, obviously. The first solution is getting ourselves clear, getting back to the state we were in before. When we came out of the womb, we were a blank, and God had written a beautiful portrait of us on that blank. There we are. But then the devil came along, put his graffiti all over us, and messed us up. We let him, we let him in, and it happened as we got older. Now then, we need to get back to that state, that blank state. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, a man has to be born of water and the Spirit, or he can't see the kingdom of God. You've got to start, have to start over. I will purge your conscience, Jesus said. It'll purge our conscience. Where our bodies are washed with pure water and our hearts are cleansed from an evil conscience. Now, when we get to that point, then, then God sees us, Man may not see us that way, but God sees us as a newborn babe. All over again, we're starting all over again. And then we take our steps, baby steps if it were, and as we move along, we have to have some dependence upon God, and we do have dependence upon Him, and upon His grace. He will forgive us. So we know that if we sin, He will forgive us. If we walk by grace, we walk by faith, not by sight, and then we're saved by grace, so that we walk with Him, and He helps us. Now sometimes, and I should say most of the time, he'll use somebody else to help you that believes in him. So when you separate yourself from those who believe in God, you're separating yourself from some power that's available to you. If, if God didn't use other men to carry out his purposes, if he didn't use angels in the form of men to come down and help propose his gospel to the world, then the world would have never gotten the gospel. 
He could have written the book and just dropped it down somewhere for us to find. You know, Joseph Smith said that's how he found his, that there were some golden plates that he dropped and he found that. But that's not the way God revealed the gospel. He revealed it through preachers, through men who went out preaching the word of God. And when God wants to help you and you're having problems with your life, maybe it's somebody who comes along and puts his arm around you as a fellow Christian says, I can help you. I can, I can share your load. I can, I can help you get along and maybe that's it. Other, it's through the Word, reading the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit comes into your life, comes into your heart and can guide you along. You can get out of sin and you can separate yourself from that environment of sin and surround yourself with those who will help fortify you against sin and help you meet those temptations and desires with the power of the Spirit of God. You can do that. If you're struggling... Take your step back. Come back to God and He'll come back to you. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.